The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, For those of you that are joining us online, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, My name is M.D. Bingham. I am one of the elders here at Stone Oak, and I get the chance this morning to be with you as we continue to walk through chapter 14 in Romans. So if you have a Bible, if you go ahead and grab that, uh, turn or click on over to chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a black or navy blue hardback somewhere around you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give that to you as a gift as you leave here this morning. You don't have to ask, just feel free to take it. Uh, Before we get into our verses this morning, though, uh, I want to do a brief recap of the last couple weeks. Uh, When we started chapter 14, we see Paul in the midst of admonishing the believers in Rome to welcome those that he calls weak in the faith. He says, welcome them but don't quarrel with them. Don't quarrel over opinions with them. Okay? And he goes in to highlight some of those opinions. He talks about things that people are eating or they're not eating, the way they celebrate holidays or don't celebrate holidays. And uh, in the first week, Justin, he likens this to uh, issues of conscience. Okay? I'm going to call them amoral practices. Okay? They're, they're practices that in and of themselves don't involve sin. Right, eating is eating, and so uh, after that, though, the second week we get into, and we see that Paul is pointing the believers and reminding them, you are not to live a life to please yourself. You are not entitled to live a life that's only about you. Justin gave an example of feeling entitled that we need to find a church that knows how to grill, that we can have barbecues, right? And Paul is pointing the believers back and saying, we are to live to please the Lord, right? At the end of the section, or at least by the end of verse 9, Paul is pushing and pressing and reminding the believers that Christ came, he lived, he died, and he lives again. And because of that, he is Lord of all. And if he's Lord of all, he is the rightful judge. And we're going to get into that this morning. But if all of those things are true, the question is, why are we worried about what our neighbors are eating? Um, We don't usually do this, but I'm up here, so I'm going to do it. If you guys would stand with me as we read through the word, we're going to be beginning in verse 10. And it says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the reminder that you are a good and perfect judge and that I am not. Father, I pray that you would be heard this 
morning, that we would be reminded that you are our king and our lives are yours. Be with us this morning, Father. Amen. You guys can grab your seats. As you're, as you're grabbing your seats, how many believe that there is a right way and a wrong way of doing things? Okay, good. So, like, when you make cereal in the morning, how many of you pour the milk in first, and then the cereal, and then you grab a fork to eat the cereal, right? There's a right way and a wrong way. And how many that believe that there's a right way, when you see someone doing it not the right way, you, you're a little judgmental, okay? All right. You don't have to raise your hands anymore. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Um, I am someone that firmly believes that there is a right way to do everything, and then there's the way that most people do it, okay? Um, and when I see people doing it how I think is wrong, uh, I am in my spirit, not normally verbally, but in my spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm judgmental. I'm, I'm kind of a judgmental person, so confession, apologies. Um, in the Enneagram world, I am what's known as a one, okay? Is anyone familiar with Enneagram? Okay, like two of you, awesome. Uh, for those that are not familiar, I'm going to give you a brief high-level overview, all right? The Enneagram at a high level is a tool used to help one understand a person's personality as to how they relate to the world, whether they're in a good place or if they're in a bad place, okay? High level. There are nine types out there, in case you're wondering, um, and I fall into category one, now, each category is going to have what they call core motivations, okay? Core desires, core fears, and it's these motivations that impact the way in which we relate to the world around us, all right? So as a one, at our best, we can be described as ethical, reliable, idealistic, orderly, and self-disciplined. That is when... We are believing the truth of what God says about him and what he says about us. We believe the truth. Now, the flip side of that, when we're not in a good place, when we're in a bad place, I'm someone that could be categorized as judgmental, inflexible, dogmatic, critical, controlling, and a whole long list of really flattering descriptors. Okay, That's when I'm not trusting that God is who he says he is. Okay. Now, as a one, my core desire in life is to be seen as good. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good employee. And if I'm good, that means I'm doing things the right way. Now, the flip side of that, as you might guess, is my fear is that I'm going to be bad that I'm going to be seen as evil or corruptible, all right? Now, the way this works out daily for me is I have, and I think we all have this, but what the Enneagram people would call an inner critic, all right? And an inner critic is that voice in the back of your head that's just constantly reminding you of how often and how many times you've failed and the decisions that you've made that were terrible and how if you were really a good person, you wouldn't have made bad choices because good people don't make bad decisions, okay? That's what's going on <laughs> in my head, so. Uh, 
it's, and it's, like I said, I think everyone has that voice to some degree or another. Um, I think a lot of people can just kind of push it to the side. I don't need it. No, that's not true. My inner critic, he seems to have found himself a PA system, and he has it turned all the way up to 11, and it's just constantly blaring. And it's, I mean, it's reminding me things of, like, I did in high school that have no impact on life at this point, and just sitting there, oh, why did I do that for? I, I'm a bad person. And it's, and it's only when I am believing the truth of the gospel that that voice is turned down. Okay? Now, I can only speak to the way that I relate to the world, okay? Uh, and you may be sitting there thinking, wow, I don't get that. I don't get that voice. It sounds like you need counseling. You're right. Um, that's, that's okay. That probably means you're not a one if you don't get that. That's all right. This is just a brief commercial break. If you're interested in the Enneagram and you want to know why do you respond the way you respond, when you're stressed out or when you're in a good place, I highly recommend a book. It's called The Road Back to You by, by a gentleman named Ian Cron. Okay? That's my commercial break. Um, the reason that I'm sharing all of this with you is because when I see something I disagree with that I think is wrong, my fleshly response is judgment. You're wrong. All right? So to circle back to my question, try to pull this together. Uh, about believing if there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things, how do you find yourself responding in those moments where you might be being a little judgmental? Now, I'm going to give you, you don't have to answer, I'm going to give you an example for, for my life. Uh, three or four weeks ago, my boys and I were standing in line at Target, checking out. And I hear this conversation going on behind me between a man and a woman who I can tell, based on what they are saying, are not from around here. And through the conversation, at one point, the gentleman is very excited. Oh, we've got to go check out Six Flags while we're here. And her response is, well, why? Well, you know, there's only like two of them in the entire country. There's the one they have out in California, and then they just built this one. <laughs> and in that moment, in my head, I am thinking, you Silly man, I have never heard so many incorrect statements said so confidently in such a short period of time. Sir, it is six flags because of the six flags that flew over Texas, because it started in Texas. Now, if you're wondering, did I turn around and correct the, the gentleman? No, because I'm a one, and I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, and for me, that's not the right way to handle that situation. So the way I handled it was I let him leave Target with completely wrong information to let someone else correct him later, okay? <laughs> now, if you were watching this whole thing unfold, and if you know anything about Six Flags, and if you're watching me, my outward response to this gentleman was synonymous with, oh, bless his heart. <laughs> it was just an eye roll, a shake of the head, oh my goodness, I, can't, I cannot believe you're that wrong, okay? So my question, though, this morning, how often do we find ourselves giving an eye roll, shaking our head to our brother and sister in Christ? Now hear me, I'm not referring to questioning of core beliefs. 
I'm not talking about having a conversation with someone that says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then in the conversation you realize they don't believe that Christ is the Son of God, that he was just a good man. He never rose from the dead. That's a different conversation. That's a different sermon, all right? That's not what Paul's talking about here in these verses. Totally different. I'm talking about things when you hear people say or you think, oh, you know, well, he came from a charismatic church. You know, they don't do that. They don't eat there. They don't do that because, well, they're Baptist. Now, I'm saying those two specific groups because I grew up in a charismatic church raised by Baptist parents. And so I understand (laughs) the differences that are there. So where do those ideas and judgments come from? Where do we get, Justin talked about entitlement last week. Where do we get that entitlement where we can just make those judgments? For someone like me, and I think it's probably a rarity, it is this, this, this belief, this entitlement that I have to be right. My judgments are right because if I'm wrong, then that means I'm doing it wrong. And if I'm doing it wrong, it means I'm a bad person and I, I can't be a bad person. I've got to be right so that I can be good, right? Now, I, that's probably just few of us that are like that. Most of us, I think, come from the idea of, well, it's a generational belief, right? I believe this because of who taught. That's what was taught to me. That was what was modeled. And not only that, it was who taught it and who modeled it for me. I know that it's true because my beliefs are generational because my parents, that's what they taught me. And my grandparents, that's what they taught them. And I know that they love me and they wouldn't tell me something wrong. So if my Baptist grandparents say that dancing is wrong, it is wrong, right? See, some of us, We pass judgment because we have this entitlement of the belief that we're right. And others of us pass judgment because the beliefs that we hold are generational. And that's where we're going to find Paul in these verses this morning. Throughout this entire letter, you, you may have noticed, Paul is at times verbally separating the believers in Rome. It's like, Jewish believers, go to that corner. Gentile believers, over there. We've got to talk through this. All right? And here again, we were reminded that this church in Rome is made up of two very distinct groups. Jewish believers over here, Gentile believers over here. It would be like taking the Baptists and the Charismatics, putting them in a church and saying, figure it out, right? Now, you need to understand that both of these groups, they're not meek. There's not one group looking at the other and saying, okay, yeah, let's just go along to get along, you know? They are opinionated, and they both believe that they are right. Okay? The Jewish believers, specifically, are vocal throughout the early church as to what they believe the Gentiles have to do for their salvation to count. All right? Acts 15, it outlines it. This is, what, this is what you have to do as a Gentile for it to count. You've got to be circumcised, and you have to follow the Mosaic law. You've got to keep it. Kind of sticky right there. In fact, Peter in verse 10, he says, speaking to the other Jewish believers, says this, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Why are you adding these extra things to these believers that, guys, we can't even do it? What do we expect them to be able to do it? To the Jewish believers... 
They're passing judgment against their Gentile brothers and sisters for not keeping the Mosaic law. While the Gentile believers are despising and looking down on the Jewish believers because they have not yet grasped or believed that the gospel, that Christ has freed them from the rites and rituals and ceremonies dictated by the Mosaic law. And Paul here is saying, you're both wrong. You're both trying to step into the seat of judgment over your brother and sister that's not reserved for you. That is Christ alone. The seat's too big for you. See, they're not arguing over salvific issues. They're not arguing if Christ was really the son of God. They're not arguing if he rose from the dead. Let's go back to verses two and three. It says, one person believes he can eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. These are amoral Conscience level issues. They're arguing over food. Okay? There is contention over the rites and rituals that the Gentiles, rightly in my opinion, are saying they don't matter. Christ is enough. This is one of those moments in church history as you're reading through it where you wish that Paul had just written something, an argument that was so profound. That any time this type of disagreement came up, we could just read and be like, oh yeah, right, got it, thanks Paul. Well, he kind of made an attempt at that. If we look at the second half of verse 10, it says, listen, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Listen, verse 12, so then... Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, church, you're going to be judged. You're just not going to be judged by someone that looks like you. You're going to be judged by a perfect judge. In the beginning of chapter 14, Paul is pointing out a couple things that we've hit the last couple weeks. One is... Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't think that you're entitled to be judgmental over your brother and sister. That's not reserved for you. Don't be deceived into thinking that God sent you specifically here to pass judgment on your brother and sister in Christ. Distracted by what they're doing either. Why? I'm pretty good at it. Pretty good at passing judgment on people. Well, verse 12 says this. It says that we're going to be judged for what we have done. It's just that we're going to get to be judged by a perfect judge, not by someone that looks like me. And if that's true, as a believer, if I'm going to be judged, I've got plenty to worry about just dealing with me than worrying about what you're eating. Right? <clears throat> In just a moment. Verse 10, though, I just want to point this out. It's a continuation of the argument. Or the
Verse 3, it says, let not the one who eats despise the one that abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Right? And then again in verse 10, it says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? So we have the judges on the one side, they don't eat. I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to say this is made up of the Jewish believers that are keeping to the dietary restrictions of the Mosaic law. And then on the other side, we have you guysers that you just eat whatever you want. All right? And Paul, I'm going to paraphrase this. He's already said this once. He's saying it again. Don't worry about these things. They're not salvific. Don't worry about them. Don't quarrel over them. Move on. So why is Paul repeating himself? Anybody have kids? (laughs) I know as a dad, I often have to repeat myself, I don't know how many times, before my children finally grasp what it is I'm trying to tell them. And Paul, as a loving father to these believers, he recognizes that I've got my hard-headed kid over here, I've got my other kid over here that just does whatever he wants, and I've got to repeat myself to make sure that they're on the same page, right? And not only that, what's great is that Paul understands both of them. Paul understands where the Jewish believers come from. He understands the the importance, the the, the heritage they have, the confidence in their flesh to do the right thing by following the law. And he understands the Gentile believers and the way that their upbringing, their life experience has shaped them after years of ministering to the, the gospel to them. See, Paul doesn't only understand the Jewish beliefs. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul outlines just how much he understands. In verse 4 it says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. Zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But Paul continues into verse 7 and 9. He says, but whatever gain I had in the flesh, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Like I said, Paul doesn't just understand one kid. He understands both of them. He understands that for the Jews, he understands where they're coming from, but also for the, for the Gentiles, that when they came to faith, they didn't necessarily have a few thousand years of generational beliefs in following the law, of sacrificial rituals that they had to maintain. The Gentiles came to faith, they saw something different. They saw grace. And sometimes they saw too much of it. Sometimes they cheapened grace just a little. In fact, if you go back a few chapters in Romans, you're going to see 
Paul asked this question. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Paul was saying grace is not and should never be a license to sin. So Paul, in this text, he's addressing his, the Jewish brothers, and they tended to be the ones that are a little bit more legalistic. They're holding on to the Mosaic Law. We've got to follow these things. And on the other side, we have the Gentiles that are the opposite, that just tend to cheapen grace from time to time. And through this whole chapter, Paul is pressing on them and saying, you're both wrong. You're both approaching the same thing from a different angle, and you're wrong. Now, For someone like me, that's pretty hard to swallow because I need to know the right way of doing things so that I can do it the right way and make sure that everyone else is doing it the right way around me. But instead of Paul coming in and saying, you know what, Jewish believers, they got it. You guys need to step in, fall in line, get to it. Instead of that, Paul is pointing the believers back to truth. Okay? He's saying in verses 11 and 12 that there is a judge that we will all be giving an account to, but it's not you, and it's not me. Let's go, let's go back to verse 11, just revisit this. It says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. It doesn't say that we're going to give an account of each other. All right? In fact, Paul in verse 4 says, Who am I to pass judgment on the servant of another? Listen, if Paul's not passing judgment, I know I can't pass judgment. Paul is summarizing the responsibility that every believer has in verses 11 and 12, which is that we're going to give an account of ourselves. Now, the accounting here that we're going to give, the judgment seat that Paul is referencing, it's not the great white throne judgment. All right? This is not a salvific judgment that we're going through. This is the Bema seat. This is the judgment for believers. And if you didn't realize as a believer you're going to be judged, surprise, you're going to be judged. Um, but just to give you an understanding of what that judgment looks like, just think back to Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the talents. Okay? See, it's in this judgment where we're going to give an account of our faithfulness and our stewardship of the gifts that God has given us. And I just want to remind you guys, in case you haven't read it in a while, at no point in that parable did the master ask for an accounting of one servant over another. See, on that day, we're not going to be responsible or not answer for our brothers and sisters. Just like the servant with ten talents was not responsible for the servant with one who went out and dug a hole and buried it wasn't his responsibility. Not only are we not going to be giving an accounting of it, but God does not want or need my judgments on Craig and Justin. He's got that handled. Each will give an account of himself to God. So with verse 12 in mind, does it make any sense that we would waste our energy worrying about what our neighbors are eating? Is it going to add anything in any way to the way that God views us and how we have been stewarding the gifts that we've received? It's like, you know what, God, 
I know you gave me a lot of responsibilities, but I'll tell you one thing I did. I judged Paul really well over and over again. Right? Paul, God does not need my ability to judge because, honestly, I'm terrible at it. So where does that leave us this morning then? Where, what do we do when we find ourselves in disagreement over these amoral, conscience-level things with fellow believers? There's a guy named Fritz Ridenauer. He has a book. It's called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. And I would guess some of you right now are already kind of judging that title, and that's okay. <laughs> but in that book, he suggests three practical things that we can do in relating to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on things that we disagree with. And that is, be genuine, be accepting, and be understanding, which is going to require listening. Oh, All right. Now, there is a difference between being judgmental with a brother and sister and going to them with genuine love and concern to ask about an issue. You can, you can do that without climbing into the judgment seat. We can accept a person's view without agreeing to it. Justin, on the first week, he, he brought up a funny example of Christian music. Hey, I understand and accept that you only listen to Christian music. I don't agree with it, but I can accept that. I can accept that that is an issue for you that you have conscience-level response to. See, the, the Gentiles, they could have easily understood that for the Jewish believers, it wasn't just food. It wasn't just about the food, but it was going to take understanding which requires listening. And when I say listening, I don't mean waiting for your, your turn for your rebuttal. I mean listening. Right. And it requires us at the very end to step down off the seat of judgment that I know I find myself climbing into every morning and to submit to the example of Christ. See, Christ... Now, as believers, love on them. We've got to not be judged who Christ is. But when it becomes a brother and sister that we have a disagreement on, how quickly do we fall into judgment? We're okay accepting a non-believer in the way that they relate to the world, but if it's a believer, you better fall in line to how I think it makes sense, the way I interpret grace, the way I interpret Christ. So this morning, as we begin to, to close up here, a couple questions I have for you is, do you find yourself facing judgment? Do you find yourself running into a
where they might be judgmental against you. Okay? We're going to read more about that next week. Let me just close by praying. Father, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your servant Paul and the way in which that you use him in such a mighty way to speak truth to your people. Father, that as children we are so hard-headed and we miss the point and we need it repeated over and over again. Father, I thank you for this reminder, God, that you are judge, that you are perfect in your judgment. And Lord, we are sinful. Father, I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and to die a death I deserved. Or that we may be adopted as co-heirs in Christ. Father, be with us as we leave this place. Lord, that with a gentle voice and reminder when we find ourselves rolling our eyes, shaking our heads, as I know, bless his heart when we don't agree with our brothers or sisters. For that, for that in that moment, our spirit would we be quickened and that we would repent and climb down off the seat of judgment. Father God, I thank you for your blessings. It's in your son's mighty name.